So the last bit of Matthew's Gospel, Matthew's biography of Jesus, which talks about the last week of Jesus' life. And today we come to a piece of this Gospel that I've never heard anyone preach on before. It's a tragedy. It's a tragedy where a friend, well, you'll see, you'll see. Life is full of tragedies where people suffer more than they deserve, where people of great promise and potential have their lives cut short. Tragedies surround us. At a distance, we hear almost daily about children being killed in war-torn countries. Also at a distance, there are tragedies that continue that we don't hear about as often. The millions and millions of refugees that are in camps in Europe. Displaced people, millions of them. Not all tragedies are distant. Some are very close this week. But perhaps we're becoming too insensitive to realise the horror of tragedies that are at our doorstep. In 2016, the leading cause of death in Australia in the 15 to 44 age group was intentional self-harm. And when we include all ages in this group, it is one person every three hours every day. One person every three hours every day. And they are all tragic. They are all tragic. We know a lot about tragedy in theory. We learn about tragedy from literature. We know about the elements of tragedy that appear in classic Greek literature and Shakespearean tragedy. We see catastrophe and suffering awaiting, awaiting many characters, including the central character, the hero, This catastrophe results from human failing. And the Greeks use a term from archery uh, that is called hamartia to describe this. And it's missing the mark, falling short of the mark. In these tragedies, the heroes suffer. The hero understands his doom. And the hero has a very serious decision to make. Today, in our reading, we see two tragedies. Two tragedies. And we are pointed to a way... No, we are pointed to the way to avoid the tragedy that faces us all. The tragedy of missing God's mark. So if you would like to open the Bibles that are in front of you, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 27 
and verses 1 to 10 and you can see the tragedy there in the heading that I'm talking about. Judas hangs himself. So page 1550, Matthew 27. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him and led him away and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us? They replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. The chief priest picked up the coins and said, It is against the law to put this into the treasury since it is blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. That is why it has been called the field of blood to this day. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took 30 pieces of silver, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the potter's field as the law had commanded me. The chief priests and the elders, God's representatives who are charged with bringing light into darkness, who are to lead people to God, are busily at work in the early hours of the morning. They are facing time constraints. They need to get this out of the way before the Sabbath. Otherwise, they'll be breaking one of their laws. Their task is to get Jesus executed by the Romans. These religious leaders are seeking to crucify their own Messiah. They are seeking to crucify the giver of life. Their corruption, their hypocrisy, their deceit is coming to a crescendo. Despite all their talk about God and their outward piety, sin means nothing to them. Dawn has come, but darkness is the only thing that we see here. Since Jesus had turned the tables in the temple at the beginning of the week, the whole system has been starting to crumble. Like Peter, I wonder whether Judas was watching on nearby. We know that Peter had come right to the courtyard. Perhaps Judas had as well. Because in verse 3 we read, When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that he was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver. Didn't Judas expect it to turn out this way? 
was he still waiting for Jesus to use his undoubted power instead of relying on his father's love? Seized with remorse, he comes to the religious leaders seeking help, seeking guidance. I have sinned. I have betrayed innocent blood. He confesses to them. He confesses to them. Is he seeking absolution? Is he seeking forgiveness? He comes seeking help. But these religious leaders give him no wise counsel. They won't. Or is it they can't help a man who complains of guilt and impurity? What is that to us? Forgiveness, compassion, grace, even a thimble of pity. Not on their radar. Like Pilate in a few hours' time, They wash their hands of all of this. That is your responsibility. And to some degree, they are right. Judas, like all of us, is responsible for his own actions, his own decisions, his own sin. If he wants forgiveness, he needs to go to the one that he has offended, as we all do. He needs to turn to God, for it is against God that he and we sin. Yet these representatives don't point him in any direction. Not to the scriptures, there is no reference to God at all. Yes, he is responsible for his decisions, his actions, his betrayal. He has well and truly missed the mark. But surely that they could offer a few words of comfort from the Psalms. Perhaps Psalm 103. Praise the Lord my soul and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all our sins and heals all our diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Surely these words from another repentant sinner, King David, would have at least offered Judas some comfort and pointed him in the direction of mercy. But he's not going to hear of God's love and grace in this place from these men. He has come to the wrong place. The temple and its leaders have nothing whatsoever to offer. Left to his own devices, his own resources, Judas leaves the temple. But I want to stay here. I want to stay with the chief priests. I want to visit the depth, the depth of their depravity. Verse 6 shows us that they deal exclusively in self-righteousness. Law and not love is their master. Verse 6, the chief priests 
picked up the coin and said, It is against the law to put this into the treasury, since it is blood money. Since it is blood money. They will keep every law that they have concocted to make them look pure to the people. To make them look pure and impressive to God. They will not tarnish their purses with this blood money. But hang on. It's blood money because they made it blood money in the first place. They gave it to Judas in exchange for the blood of this man. Their fastidiousness to keep their laws will not impress anyone. They bend over backwards to keep their own laws. But God is never impressed with self-righteous folly. Yet even this blood money, even this blood money is used by God to fulfill prophecy. Deuteronomy 18.12 reflects the tragic hubris, the excessive pride and self-confidence of these men. So Jeremiah is a long time before. But in the light of God's judgment, the leaders in Jeremiah's day, facing exile, facing the destruction of their temple, proudly proclaim... We will continue with our own plan. Forget about God's plan. Forget about the plan you're telling us about, Jeremiah. We're going to continue with our own plan. We will follow the stubbornness of our hearts, of our evil hearts. And God responds with this final declaration. I will show my back to them and not my face in the day of their disaster. If you think about what's going to happen here back in the first century now, that very afternoon when the sky blackens, their lack of leadership, their lack of integrity, love, humility their failure to show remorse and to ask for repentance will be judged. Yet they stand rigidly in their self-righteousness under God's judgment. They have repeatedly missed the mark. This is the last mention of the temple in Matthew, apart from the curtain, the temple curtain being torn from top to bottom a little later. Without Jesus, without acknowledgement of their failure, they are without hope. And what a tragedy this is. What a tragedy. Men who have access to God's word. Men who have the privilege of education and position. Men who have seen with their own eyes Jesus heal the blind and the lame. Men who claim closeness to God. Continue to push God away with their pride and self-confidence. They have been entrusted with much, but it will be taken away. They have no excuse. 
How sad, how terribly sad. They refuse both to help and to be helped. Judas also witnessed Jesus' miracles. He heard Jesus' teaching and had been honoured to be called his friend. His ending too is tragic. The priests, the elders, have shown no remorse for their night's work or their ongoing pride. On the other hand, Judas does. We're told he is seized with remorse and he acknowledges his sin. At this point, perhaps Judas and Peter are a more helpful comparison for us. If you flick your eyes back to that last verse, the last words of the previous chapter when we looked at Peter's denial last week, he went outside and wept bitterly. Both Peter and Judas are remorseful. Tears are the only discernible difference that we can see here. The actions of one leads to the possibility of repentance. The actions of the other seem to shut the door on repentance. What does this look like? Let's go to geography. (laughs) Drops of rain falling on the top of a mountain start quite close together. But depending on the side of the line on which they fall, they will make their way to one side of the country or the other. That which starts close together ends up a vast distance apart. Rain to the east of Jerusalem, which is quite rare, will flow, will falling on the mountain, will flow down to the Dead Sea. Rain on the west side will go down to the Mediterranean. Both remorse and repentance begin with something we've done. Remorse and repentance both begin with something we've done and realising it was wrong. It was wrong. But the first goes down a hill of anger, recrimination and self-hatred. The second goes down the Peter route. Tears, shame, forgiveness and grace. There is a difference between a person in whom disappointment leads to attempted self-reform and someone in whom grief leads to heartfelt confession. Self-reliant reformation and a penance that follows is a polar opposite of the heartfelt confession and repentance that follows. You see, when we confess, when we confess sin to God, we don't just admit that we have done something wrong that we have sinned. 
No, we also confess that we don't have the power to compensate for that, to, to pay for that. We don't have the power to deliver ourselves from it. So we look to grace. We looked for grace from the death, from the one whose death displays grace in its fullness. Judas walked out of the temple and died alone. Jesus soon would also be hanging on a tree, seemingly abandoned by God. But his was not a life taken. His was a life laid down. Judas' ending, whichever way you look at it, is tragic. As we look at these two tragedies, the leaders of the temple and Judas, it's easy to judge. It's so easy to judge. To judge the chief priests and the elders, to judge Judas, to judge even Peter. But these living words are written for us to remind us that God is working even in this tragic mess to point us to grace, to point us to something better. If our focus falls and stops here on Judas, if our focus falls and stops on the priests, we too are missing the mark. If we stop and make judgments about their self-righteousness, their sinfulness, their folly, and overlook our own, we are missing the mark. If we content ourselves with theologizing about the outcomes of their fates, their final destinations, and we fail to consider ourselves, we too are missing the mark. This is just a small segment of this huge meta-narrative that is the Bible. And the hero is largely absent from these verses we're looking at. But he remains the central character. He remains the central character and should have our best attention even here. For we know he too will suffer an even greater tragedy. Not because of any personal flaws, but, but he will suffer to compensate for all our flaws. Jesus exceeds all the tragic heroes. Like them, he suffers more than he deserves. Like them, he understands his doom. Like them, he has a very serious decision to make, which we saw two weeks ago when we looked at Gethsemane. He exceeds them because he is not flawed and does not miss the mark. In fact, he is the mark. He sets the mark. The mark of grace, the mark of righteousness, the mark of love. We can identify with his humanity. But what a great gift that he offers. 
He offers a way so that we can fully identify with his purity. We are flawed by sin. We each miss the mark because of our sin. However, if we embrace the hero, if we embrace Jesus, our ending will neither be catastrophic or tragic. For we are made for more than pain. We are made for much more than this world can offer. In one sense, our ending is no ending at all. Judas walks out of the temple and seems to die alone without Jesus, seemingly without hope. If you are God's child by grace, through faith in Jesus, don't ever, don't ever tell yourself that you are alone. For you alone is a redemptive impossibility. As God's children, we are caught up in this movement of grace. We have been moved from being hopeless and alone to being reconciled and inhabited by God's Spirit. And therefore we are never alone. The greatest tragedy in the world today is the greatest tragedy that has always been known in the world. To be struggling through life, depending on our own resources, and continually missing the mark when God, God's grace is there, free for the taking. God's grace is free for the taking today and every day. God's grace is free for the taking and is sufficient for all our flaws and failings, all our shame and pain. God's grace is free for the taking and provides hope in the darkest of dark hours. God's grace is free for the taking now. Right now. Please pray with me. Father, we are saddened by the tragic messes we see around us. Please uh, lift our eyes so that we might see the mark that you have set. Your mark of grace, your mark of righteousness in the Lord Jesus. Please help us not to look in places where there is no help. Please help us to look to you today and every day so that we might know grace and rejoice in your goodness, that we might have grace and be assured of a better tomorrow, a better eternity. Please be gracious and gentle to us as you have promised, as you will. Amen.